good afternoon, everyone. Hope you're good. It's a Thursday, but because it's Good Friday tomorrow, it feels like a Friday. Let's be honest. We've all got that Friday feeling. And so we always have a special show on a Friday. And so our special show is on a Thursday today. Been really looking forward to this one. I was approached on LinkedIn, which is where this show also casts. So if you haven't noticed this before, we go out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, LinkedIn, Instagram. And on LinkedIn, a lady called Ashri Singh. Um, we had a back and forth on a, on direct message there, a little bit about the work she's been doing. Um, she's an FCP physio, lead FCP physio at Primary Care Physio. And um, and so she's doing some great work on trying to counter some of the vaccine hesitancy in the BAME community. Um, so I really wanted to discuss that because it's kind of come up in other shows before, but it deserves a show of its own. And so perfect uh, guests to, to, to be the expert in the room to, to help me and you through understanding that issue and also no doubt what we can all do to contribute positively to, to her work and to improving sort of evidence-informed narratives on important topics such as this at such an interesting and strange time. So I'm really appreciative of, of her time today and hopefully if the technology behaves itself, I can bring her in in the click of a couple of buttons. Please as ever, just get yourself joining in the chat. Make sure you let us know as ever, I've got my tech gremlins. I'm always concerned about whether you can hear us okay and stuff. So you've got to let us know on the chat. Otherwise, me and Ashri are just going to get stuck into this topic uh, and, and we won't know. Um, so you've got to let us know. But also, please do get stuck into this and let us know any questions you have. Um, we, I'd hate for it to be that at the last couple of minutes, that's when you pipe up with all your questions and we don't have time. So please do join the conversation and chew this over together with us uh, because it's really important. So hopefully, without further ado... Ashri, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, that's you nicely then. So, um, tell us a little bit about yourself for those that don't know of you and your work, if we can start there. Sure. So, first of all, thank you so much uh, for having me here. Uh, I'm a great, great fan of this uh, show because uh, it's in lunch hour and it gives you so much information in just that half an hour. So, thank you. Uh, delighted to be here. So, regarding myself uh, i'm a lead first contact physiotherapist in uh, primary care physio i've been working as an fcp and uh, i've got now a special interest in uh, covid long covid and obviously vaccine hesitancy right. i think it all started when i uh, caught covid myself in december um uh, supposedly with a new variant and uh, then i've been doing a vaccine clinic as well i've been vaccinating from last uh, four months uh, so as a physiotherapist i know probably yes uh we've we've probably contributed a lot since since the covid time because we have involved in vaccination in icu care etc so uh i think it's so important at this stage unlike the other you know uh, pandemic that we had in the past or any sort of virus the thing that uh, makes this different is the amount of you know people uh, that have been affected so it's very important being a physiotherapist or being any healthcare professional we are kind of burdened not burdened and I feel we carry an extra responsibility to know the things better so that we can disseminate the information in the society Mm, no, for sure. Yeah, I think that that's something that we've kind of seen everyone step up and want to understand the detail so that they can be a trusted advisor, because often that's where people do lean on us as professionals to sort of offer their take on the matter. And so being informed is is only important. Uh, sorry, uh, is, is only the, the least we can do, really, is to make sure that we're not ignorant to some of these important issues. Um, you had COVID yourself. How did you get on with that, both in terms of your symptoms and then did the, is there any 
hangover for want of a better term of it any any long enduring features i think i'm glad i had uh, the covid because otherwise i mean we all know our own uh, uh, we we all good at our, our own work i might be really good with msk but what uh, that's what my personal opinion would be with this scenario i think it's a responsibility of every single healthcare professional to know more and more about covid-19 and about long covid and that's what what i did when i suffered from covid uh you know uh, i work probably monday to saturday i never had that kind of day off so i was sick i was in bed it was a terrible experience in terms of mental health because i thought whether i'll be ever able to get back to work because of this so i started reading a lot and lot about this uh covid-19 or the vaccine etc and then i realized how much ever things are there actually we are not aware and um i mean simple things like i have seen in in those timings when i was suffering from covid uh, i had uh, i was told my some of my staff saying oh you had covid oh my god you know what up until now i didn't even believe it existed now since you have because they trusted me i believe okay you know this is that something actually does exist so for me i think covid-19 was a positive experience in terms of i was and 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 that was a time when i started making a lots of videos i have made videos with some gps i've video made videos of my own experience i've made a facebook page called uh, infodemics uh, vaccine against infodemics the the term which was coined by who and that's what was um, picked up by bbc and uh, highlighted um, so yeah for me overall it was a, a positive experience of uh, uh realizing uh you know the in depth of the problem and most importantly uh, dis, uh i mean providing the right information to the public because when i was suffering myself and i was making live videos and expressing my um you know experience or my concern about it people at least in my circle uh, they tend to believe it uh, more right yeah i think that that's sometimes it you confronted with that personal experience that just sharpens sharpens the sense of what people are going through but also trying to then recognize when you were in that moment what are the resources that would have helped to reassure you what are the resources that would then you would want others to have access to and uh, fair play you've been one of those people that stepped up to that plate um, ever since what's the because what the title of the the talk as well as the, as what we wanted to discuss in detail today is the vaccine hesitancy that you've then been trying to to I won't say counteract, but you know, offering support almost to some of those things and, and trying to yeah. help understand the narratives as well as then offering yeah. a reassurance. So tell us a little yeah. bit how you got into that line of work. Yeah, so uh we were so lucky as a country especially in the uk where the vaccination start started on 8th of december and it's it's a boon that we had the vaccine but on the downside it was very frustrating as a healthcare professional suffered from covid that there are still people who either did not believe in virus or the vaccine now we when we say anti-vaccinators or vaccine hesitancy there's a big difference so there are some group of people who are anti uh, vaccinators work totally against the vaccine the concept of vaccine or even uh, you know having that and there are some group of people who are actually hesitant which means it's not that they don't want to take it they're not sure and my point is i think we that those are the group that 
uh, that we can easily target and we can have uh, um, you know our control not control but we can achieve um, uh, vaccinating those people by gaining their trust I mean when we did a, a national statistic, I mean, there's a, a research uh, or there's a paper for BMJ, which was published literally on 28th of March. That's a really good paper on vaccine hesitancy. It, it shows actually the data. Uh, so 82% of the UK individuals were very likely when they were asked, they were very likely to take the vaccine. Only the other few uh, weren't, uh, you know, uh, ready. But even in the, that population, only very few of them were anti-vaccinators and the majority of them were actually not sure. And in that, uh, you know, uh, I think um, the majority of them who were not sure was from Black African of Black Caribbean, and some of them were Pakistani uh, and Bangladeshi uh, minorities, and some of the uh, white Eastern Af uh, Eastern European. Now, when the media use the term BEM, you know, it's it's I feel to use that acronym to just you know segregate and and put everything under one umbrella is not helping, because when I think it's it's been um, massively used and it it is causing it's been detrimental to use that term BEM in I've, I've just recently uh, watched the news and Sky News it they've said oh there is a lot of hesitancy yes we are addressing the problem. And by keeping everything under one umbrella called BEM, but are we actually, uh, you know, doing something to, um, to, you know, kind of resolve the issue? I think what would be good is to address that particular community. So it's, let's suppose when you say BEM, there's, there's so many people, every community, it's a broad terminology, yeah. you know. Uh, culture can be different. So if we can identify a particular group and what is the cause, and to be honest, from my experience, I have been analyzing this uh, from a long time, and I think um, communication language, it's becoming a, a big uh, you know, barrier for them to understand. Um, for example, in the vaccine clinic, you know, I've been so many times I've been asked, oh, does it have any meat product? I'm allergic to penicillin. Uh, can I be uh, fertile enough? Now, all these things are there in all probably all news media, but those population do not actually go to see BBC or right. Sky News. Uh, their source could be Facebook, could be Instagram. So I think as an individual, as a healthcare professional, if each of us take that extra responsibility to, uh, you know, um, disseminate that information, be it a local language or uh, going uh, a bit ahead with that, I think that's going to help a lot. Yeah, I, was, I mean, it's great that it's come up because it was one of the questions I was meaning to ask you, actually, as to what your take is on the on the term and the acronym BAME. Me and you, even on back and forth on LinkedIn, we've used it as shorthand and things. You know, it's something that, you know, um, the people are sometimes at pains to make sure that they are appropriately using the progressive language of the time to make sure that we can be appropriately sensitive. And, and BAME is, is a phrase that has been proliferated recently or relatively recently but also people of color but those aren't synonymous because of course within a BAME category as you mentioned one of the large um one of the larger minorities of, of eastern europeans that are then vaccine hesitant are being lumped in under BAME because they are minority ethnic but fundamentally that therefore is why it's not a synonym for people of color which sometimes people make the mistake of doing so You've, you've spoken a little bit about how you feel that actually on a statistical level, it's, it's clumsy. On, on a personal level, is it something that you feel irritated by? Does it, does it other you uh, as a phrase? 
Of course, I do. I'm, I won't lie. I get very frustrated when, you know, again, with the news, I'll, I'll say very openly in Sky News, they said BEM, uh, which means Indian, Pakistan. Where it's not true. Whereas statistically, it's particularly some of the Asian uh, ethnicity like Bangladesh or pa Pakistani, they need support. The reason I am, uh, I, it frustrates me is when we don't know the problem correctly, we can't find the right solution. For instance, there has been uh, videos on vaccine in different languages uh, from BBC and uh, in other languages. But what I found is even though there's a huge chunk of population from Bangladesh who are probably not aware or there's a lot of uh, less vaccination, but there's there's less resources in Bangla. So when we understand the right. problem rightly, then only we can address it. Mm. Um, so it, so it, it's about representing the issue correctly and not to forget a person, it, it, it doesn't help when you say people, somebody asks me, look, I'm in a childbearing age, uh, can I take the vaccine? And I say, yes, there's no problem. It, it doesn't work that way. You need to explain a bit, look, it's actually, it's an mRNA vaccine or adenovirus vaccine. It's not a live virus. It's not going to interact with your placenta. It's It does not alter your DNA. So a little bit of explanation can always help in gaining the, the trust rather than just saying, you know, it helps. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I think what, what I find interesting about that is that you, you, as a clinician, we can comprehend that the accuracy of a diagnosis is so so important to the ongoing management of any case and in this instance you're describing the fact that the more accurate we can be over what we're meaning by these things and not use clumsy terminology then that's only going to mean that we can deal with the actual create the better solutions uh, to these yeah. problems and I think that that's that's really interesting for me because you know it, it makes sense on every level um, but I think that one of the reasons that that people are maybe lumping in their language is often because they are ill-informed or they, they just don't know really where to look and therefore they just steer stay away from topics like this because they feel unqualified to discuss them whereas fundamentally as healthcare professionals especially to support our patients that might have these concerns we need to make sure we've at least got some understanding of, of what, what's happening there you've mentioned cultural features you know it's something that is quite you know having that cultural understanding and sensitivity is something that because of the, the the varied nature of it, so say a, a, a black, black African patient of Nigerian heritage that's got some concerns that might be tethered to cultural norms is going to be somewhat different to a black Afro-Caribbean uh, patient. Now, it might be similar, but it's something that could be distinct. And, and understanding those cultural things, it's, it sometimes can feel quite overwhelming. Um, and one of the reasons why I think sometimes people lump stuff in um, and, and, and sometimes then almost over stereotype by doing so, by, by doing that, that generic. Do you think it, it's something that is quite a tall order that we all need to just step up and understand some of those cultural uh, deviations? Or do you think that there are some things that, that, that kind of the low hanging fruit that we can all understand and therefore, you know, better ourselves without it being a massive educational burden on every individual? In a normal scenario without COVID, I think it's it's a bit too much to uh, expect, you know. Um, but 
in this particular scenario, when we are going through a national emergency, it's, it's a crisis, we do not have any other option, no matter how much we do in vaccination, unless and until 70 to 80% of a whole population has been immunized or vaccinized or, or have had their vaccine, we're not going to achieve herd immunity and we cannot overcome uh, this problem. So. I, it's about the need. I think it's a need of this hour. We have to understand the culture. We have to understand why there is a hesitancy uh, and whatever is needed, we, we should be doing that because I think uh, it's not. It doesn't work whether what I think or what probably is a, is a, you know need. It, it's just the need. We, we probably uh, sadly we don't have any other option. We have to uh, do this way. Mm, yeah, whatever whatever happens, we need to improve our education. And even if that means that you've got to do some learning that might be disruptive, it's something that really, yeah, as you say, it's it's more to do with what happens if not. You know, it's the consequences yeah. if not uh, uh, yeah. loom large over all of us there. Now, if any yeah. of you that are listening live, I know most of you listen to this on your commute and things like that, and we get messages on social media and on email after the fact, which is great. Thank you so much for those that do that. But those that are listening live, then please do uh, drop us any questions and we'll share those with, with Ashri because I've got plenty. I've always got lots of questions, but if any of you want to get involved and ask any questions, then please do so on the chat functions and uh, et cetera. Now, what I wanted to get into really is on some examples then as to what it is that, that is fueling some of the hesitancy. And we know, as you've already mentioned, it's a case by case basis, but what are some of the commonalities? What are the uh, frequent things that you're uh, offering uh, counters to both in terms of resources as well as in vaccine clinics? I think with the vaccine clinic, uh, NHS has done a fantastic job. In fact, I have got a sheet here. So this is the kind of sheet. Uh, as soon as you arrive to the vaccine clinic, you, you get this two-page sheet and honestly that has got all information all the questions that people have been asking what's the content uh, contents of the vaccine like whether it has got any meat product uh, whether it has got penicillin i'm allergic to this i'm allergic to that whether can i take it everything is there in the sheet so which is quite helpful when somebody arrives at the vaccine clinic we would hand this first um and then uh carry on the vaccination but again in that it's in english so people who've got language i mean i had uh, even in, in my vaccine clinic, I could never do the vaccination the stipulated time. I always take more time because, right. uh, you know, they come to me with, a, with having a brown skin. They tend to ask me a lot of questions. So I think the common thing that I was always asked in the vaccine clinic is um, whether it's safe, whether it uh, alters my DNA uh, and why we take the vaccine but the the virus is mutating what if the other mutation the the it's not gonna the vaccine is not gonna work now it's very important to know and and i have learned this as well so it property of the any virus to mutate and it has done in the past it's not a new thing that the virus is mutating we're having so many variants it has done in the past in fact the um the virus like let's say H1N1, the flu vaccine, we take it every year because uh, the virus actually mutates 1,000, 2,000 times every year. And that's called antigenic uh, shift. Whereas there are some virus like measles, it doesn't uh, uh, mutate at all. So we just need one dose. So it's not something that has happened uh, that is new, but we got to understand this is, we, we, we haven't yet known where does the coronavirus stands, whether it's a virus like measles 
or it's a virus like H1N1. We don't know because it's somewhere in between. Yeah. So because it's new, it is getting hard to understand. But as long as we tell people, look, this is not something different. And whenever a vaccine is formed, uh, the scientists or the researchers do have this in their mind that virus can mutate and uh, we should make the vaccine in such way that it should because if there is a change in one or two spike protein it's not going to change the whole virus structure so the vaccine ideally should work so these are the thing i think you know major concern about blood clots recently about the astrazeneca although there has been so many research who has already suggested that it doesn't um actually an impact of the vaccine so it's just a bit more i think effective communication that helps people more yeah i think and you, you can only answer authentically if you know you have an answer to that question you know it's something that if it floors you um, then you need to go and do that do that learning do that understanding grapple with it yourself i think that one of the things that's been interesting is just the the take that it seems that from what i can gather you and i have on this is that you kind of be be patient, be understanding, be understanding of the fact that everyone's individual circumstances of how they've come to understand their knowledge and also their uh, reluctance in sometimes circumstances and hesitancy is that it's being being understanding and being forgiven of the of the uniqueness of people's circumstances. Whereas there are other pressures whereby it's been ridicule, um, uh, the, the, the fact that people struggle to empathize at all with any sense of hesitancy, regardless of the reason, as you've mentioned, the, the reasons are often complex. Um, do you feel that, that that the corners of society that have been and continue to be quite dismissive of these sorts of things, has that been a, a particular hindrance to it? Because that seems to me seems that people double down sometimes when, when those pressures occur. Of course, yeah. And that's the main worry. I think we are going to uh, you know, end the lockdown, we are going to open everything soon. Although we, uh, I think probably nearly 50 to 60% of the UK population has been vaccinated. But remember, even if we have 10% of those population who haven't had the vaccine, they can be the main source. It's like a potential reservoir of the, the virus and it can just change everything altogether. So, uh, so it's very important to kind of, um, yes, address them and when you try to address them in a good way, because sometimes that can, uh, if you if you don't do that in a in a more sensitive way, they can be very dismissive and they can just uh, it can be paradoxical, basically. Sure, yeah, you can, you can close off. I mean, it's understandable, isn't it? If anyone yeah. sort of unfairly ridiculed over something that's a completely reasonable concern, and then they're just going to be closed off and then really really inaccessible. I think um, one of the things I talked about on yesterday's show is I shared my my thoughts and views on on some of the um, the, the sort of downstream policy consequences of um, vaccine passports and, and and ongoing tracking and things like that. Whereby, if say uh, there are people that are vaccine hesitant and the like who then delay or, or decide not to have the vaccine, that we can end up with. A two, three, or four tier system in which you've got people that can and can't access various services because it's a you know, papers, please. Um, and I was sort of went at length as to where where my uh, issues are with that, and, and although interested in the fact that a lot of this is a moving picture, so I said I'd, I'd reserve full judgment on it until we kind of knew exactly what was it was looking like. But I wonder what your thoughts are, having having interacted in this space for quite a while. Is that something that you? Are concerned about or is it something that you would welcome um is actually there being somewhat social sanctions on people that do decide against it 
I'm not very sure about the vaccine passport, but having uh, making making the vaccine as a mandatory uh, thing, I'm very much in support of it as a as an NHS as a healthcare professional. Uh, as mentioned before, it's just not fair for the 80% or 82% of the population who have had the vaccine uh, versus the population who have not had because they can potentially be super so when in the if you're in lockdown that's fine when everything opens up and people mingle with each other so if somebody who hasn't had the vaccine they can then you know can be a super spreader so yes uh making the vaccine as a mandatory thing i'm very much in support of that obviously provided they don't have any medical illness that prevents or contra have it regarding the vaccine passport it's a, it's a broader terminology it all depends how efficiently it can be implemented now having that in place but if the implementation is not uh, efficient if um you know it's not used properly then it's going to be a massive failure so yeah uh, it all depends about the logistic and how efficiently that can be actually implemented new york has i think started their vaccine passport so it's probably pilot we we're going to see how well it's going to work and some yeah new york and israel i've, I've I understand they're ahead on some of that infrastructure are you thinking then when you when you mention mandatory vaccination are you meaning for healthcare staff or are you meaning generally in general uh, and could you mention about healthcare staff and for, um this is one of the thing i've mentioned in my bbc interview as well the the concerning thing is uh, a lot of healthcare workers are hesitant as well Mm -hmm. um they are not taking and i think they are the they are the main uh threat uh than even general public because uh i mean again a genuine concern is understandable but have your own research uh i mean research on something before you uh you know make your judgment or because a healthcare professional is one who you know people believe or people uh you know trust so yes a mandatory for them for population yes but again uh just understanding what is it that is stopping them to to have the vaccine so first having that kind of chat um uh making like social uh work i think in east london they have got a program or service where they go door to door and kind of explain they've got representative from that uh, community so yeah all these things we should should be doing before making it as a mandate but uh, yeah if it nothing is working at one point then we kind of having to go in that direction right i mean i i admittedly i get i get really squeamish when it comes to thinking about what that would look like you know if if, if people are unpersuadable then are we, are we literally yeah. injecting people under under duress that i kind of get really really yeah. nervous about hoping we never end up in that situation and certainly found myself yeah. finding it difficult to support that in principle although in Correct. practice you know you've made the cases to understanding that if we are trying to aspire to a herd immunity then especially if there are pockets of communities of which they then it's not as if the those that are unvaccinated are spread widely across across the nation if they're in pockets then it does leave us vulnerable on that theory we've had a question come in because i've been i've been hogging you a little bit here uh, we've had a question come in from sam who who asks because you had covid were there ever uh, did you then go on to be vaccinated or did you use the immunity that you'd got from having had the virus yeah so i had the uh, i was tested positive on 23rd of december so i was in isolation for 14 days then after four, i was symptom free after 10 days so i could 
get back to work after uh, my isolation period. However, just to be on a safer side, I did my test again uh, and my test was negative at the end of 14 days and then I returned to vaccine. I did not have the vaccine. I had to wait for four weeks because that's one of the criteria. If you had COVID in the last four weeks, you cannot take the vaccine. You have to wait for four weeks and then take the vaccine. And, and that's what I did. Right. And was there ever a point in which you yourself had any hesitancy over the fact that you are likely to have the antibodies from having had COVID? Because that's one of the things that people are concerned about. It's like, why am I why am I having to do yeah. both? I had, uh, I wouldn't lie, I did have a concern when uh, there was a lot of thing going around infertility, uh, Pfizer, especially with Pfizer, you can, uh, you know, but then I went into, I researched myself, I understood the kind of physiology and I've kind of understood yes there is an interaction of the mrna in the placenta but there is no uh, research and there is an mrna the life scale of mrna is quite less it just kind of it's like common cold viruses destroys so there is no way uh yeah it could so yeah i think it's kind of doing your own research making an informed decision about any of the concern because i think that's one of the interesting challenges and we've got a, a point here from from um sorry it's just flashed up but a comment from Scott who says the fact that it's more challenging for non-healthcare professionals. Um, I think that that's one of the things that's interesting, isn't it? Because you, what you've referred to there, and obviously I've, I've done some of that myself, not just for needing to commentate on these issues, but also for personal and families asking after stuff, is that you, you know where to read, don't you? You know where to look. We've just mentioned and posted the BMJ article recently. For those yeah. that aren't necessarily medically trained or au fait with scientific method in any which way, it can be quite daunting. So it's resources such as the ones that you've created that help to translate that material a little better. I yeah. Yeah, and th that's the reason why I thought, um, in fact, I'm in a process of joining a group called Halo. You must have heard uh, Halo is, um, uh, they've got collaboration with the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine and their group of clinicians who are working particularly in the vaccine hesitancy. So as I mentioned before, those individuals, they probably who are uh, hesitant, they may not rely on sources like BBC, Sky News or BMJ. They look at Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. So this is where we are targeting. And that is where our role come into picture. I know it takes extra time, extra, you know, um, energy. But if you two minutes of video on Facebook or Instagram, representing yourself as a healthcare and dips, disseminating that information massively, massively helps the general public. We've had a comment through on YouTube now. Unfortunately, on YouTube, you don't get individual people. You just get, like, code names and stuff like that. So Thriller72 has asked, so if you take it, or regardless of your concerns you'd be forced, I think that's one of the things that people find interesting, isn't it, about this, is that with what you're describing, if if we hope that, that we're not get, get anywhere near this, but is the, the word force is where people get twitchy? How would you feel about that if people were being forced under a needle uh, against mm. the they should not be forced anyone be anybody or any medication any vaccine nobody should forced to take it i think uh, there should be enough provision or facility to educate them to provide them the right information which will force them to take it but enforcing something it's never going to work um, I, I don't think it's it's right from the humanitarian point of view 
Yeah, I think um, just uh, I've just noticed the time. We best wrap up, haven't we? I won't <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Certainly, uh, as long as this hasn't been too uh, traumatic and you're and you're willing to come back, I'd love to get stuck into some FCP stuff with you in the future. You know, there's lots Absolutely. more we could discuss Happy. beyond what we're talking about today. But obviously, we're trying to take the uh, the most prescient, most important things first, and this is certainly a, a very much a, a hot topic. Uh, which is what we try to visit on this show. So thank you so much as ever for your time. Could you just let people know a little bit about where they can find more about you and how to access the resources you've talked about? Sure. So uh, I'm in LinkedIn in name Ashri Singh, and there's lots of uh, videos in different languages, Urdu, Hindi and South Asian languages have done. So you could either check my Facebook page called Vaccine Against Infodemics or in YouTube, uh, uh, YouTube again, Ashri Singh, there's a lot, there's few in LinkedIn in my profile. So if you subscribe that, you'll get all the videos that I've been doing on breathing exercises, uh, long COVID, vaccine hesitancy, and, and so many other things. Fantastic. I've just realized that we didn't have our names up. So for those that are listening rather than watching, that's A-S-H-R-E-E-S-I-N-G-H. Ashri Singh is producing these resources for us to then share Get in touch with us if you're struggling to find them and we'll make sure we link to them appropriately. But thank you so much, Ashri, for all you're doing and for coming on the show to talk about this important topic today. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much. Just just to add one more thing, my, I have, my full name is Bhageshri. So if you have problem, it's Ashri. Just put Bhageshri, B-H-A-G-Y-A-S-H-R-E. Thank you. Brilliant. Lovely. Well, well, we'll make sure we link to that as well. Um, so thanks, everyone, for tuning thank in. You. Really appreciate it as well this week. Um, but as, as I mentioned, it's bank holiday, so even I'm going to have some time off, uh, or at least a few hours. I might have a few minutes and a couple of lunch times off. So I'll be back on the Wednesday. We do have a show on the Tuesday, but it's our guest host. So if you haven't tuned in yet, then please do tune in to our guest hosts on Tuesdays because they've been some brilliant shows. Uh, and I think the first one of the month is with the Physiomatist First Steps team talking uh, with their first guest on all things sort of students and new graduates and how in this mad brave new world that we're facing how that they can overcome and how you can best support students in this in this way so thanks as ever and we'll see you soon and see you next week all the best thanks jeff thank you bye